Good morning, how are we doing? Good to see you today. I want to take uh, just a, a moment to um, tell you a little bit about my week this last week. had a chance to go to a prayer summit in Oregon uh, where we spend, I don't know, two and a half days uh, praying. And so I've been to the prayer summit uh, over the last... Uh, 22, 23 years, I think I've missed maybe two or three. And so uh, prayer summits to me are, are a very important thing uh, in the year of uh, our church. And uh, in fact, it was a prayer summit that um, that, that really started our church. That, that's where it all began uh, 15 years ago. And so this year, um, go to the prayer summit and um, I usually take one uh, thing about our church that I want to pray for and going to spend um, time doing that. And so uh, this year it was um, the Building Together uh, campaign. That was the thing I was going to pray for and um, kind of see where uh, God is going to take that. And so start praying. We, we get there on a Monday and I have a meeting and then Tuesday we kind of start praying. And, and mind you, we pray like at like two, three, four hours at a, at a shop before we get a break. And so just in this prayer time and, and, um, and, and Pastor Matt and Pastor Barry go with me. Um, and I, I kind of drag them with me, but no, they love it. And, uh, so praying and, uh, so Thursday we're going to come back home. Before we come back home, I get a phone call and, um, Villa's on the phone. He's going like, we have some, uh, dirt that we need to get rid of, like a lot of dirt. And he's like, we need dirt for the building project, and we have dirt that's like for free. I'm like, all right, so I'll make a few phone calls, you know, call around, get the elders on board, okay, free dirt. And so if you notice uh, over here on this side of the building, there's 400 yards of dirt um, out there. And that's only half of what's going to come. So there's another 400 yards that will be coming, and that's like half of what we actually need to do our project. So we needed a lot of, of dirt, right? And, and so I tell my wife um, that we're getting dirt. I've never seen somebody so happy about dirt, right? <laughs> um, so so we get dirt. So so that was cool, right? God starting to move, starting to do some things, and get a phone call from John, our, our, our financial um, guy and 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 he kind of says, "Hey, um, remember we talked about the fifty thousand dollar matching program that we have here?" And he said, "Hey, somebody um, donated like fourteen thousand dollars to that to the matching thing." It's like sweet, right? So, um, so so now we got dirt and we got the matching thing going, and 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 I'm like, "Okay, God, here 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 we go, right?" And so I get home, get another phone call on Friday. I have lunch with. Uh, with another fam, they're like, hey, we want to, uh, give like $30,000 to the matching fund. Right? So now I'm like, hey, that's $44,000 to the matching fund. We need 50 and we turn 50 into $100,000 just like that, right? So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Praise God, right? So, so here's the deal. Um, we, so we're looking for like $6,000 more to, to kind of do that. So, so, um, if you have not been involved in the Building Together program, just want to have you consider that. And, um, and if you have and you haven't started giving yet, like now's the time. So, 
go ahead and begin that process as well. And, um, and now, so here's my thought. So all that, you know, takes place in a short amount of time. And my thought is this. My thought is, um, you know, let's just walk by faith in this whole process. Um, well, let, let's just see what God will do. And, and I know for some of you, that's like we're super uncomfortable because you, you know, you want to know, you know, all the steps in the process and what it's going to look like at the end and all of that. And I'm just saying, you know what? Let's just see what God does. Well, let's just see, because I didn't know we were going to get dirt. Now I'm pretty excited to see what else God's going to do. I mean, because if we can pull off dirt, right? He, he can do some pretty other amazing things. And, and so all that to say um, that we're, we're pretty excited about what God is doing as it relates to uh, the building uh, addition that we're, we're looking to do. All right, so that's that. Back to Revelation. We are in uh, our last message uh, on uh, the series of, uh, in the book of Revelation. Our next series is going to be Psalms 23. And then we're going to move into our Christmas series, and that's going to take us uh, to the end of the year. And so that's kind of where we're headed, and uh, that's where we're going. And then in January, we'll we'll figure that out. So, um, so that being said, last message in the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm just going to tell you right now, we are not going to be done on time. Okay, so just there you go. Settle in, and uh, we're going to get this done. Uh, this morning, we're going to see another picture of heaven. Uh, we're going to see what heaven is like, and um, this is probably one of the clearest pictures uh, of heaven that we're going to see. Uh, and I think it's good that uh, we get this picture of heaven, because like we're going to be there for all eternity. And so it might be nice to kind of take like a walkthrough right of this place. Like, I kind of feel like a real estate agent this morning, and I'm going to take you on a walk through the model home, right? And we're going to kind of see what uh, heaven uh, looks like. And the good news is, is there, there's going to be nothing in this house that, that you're going to be disappointed in, right? Like, when you go into a house, you want to buy one, you always go, yeah, this is really great, except for, you know, this one little thing. If only this, right? Not on this one, right? This one's going to be uh, perfect and and we're not going to be disappointed at all. And so I feel a little inadequate this morning. Pretty awesome description of our future home as believers in Christ. And really there's no words to, to describe it. The English language really doesn't give us words that, that really gets the job done. And so as we look at heaven this morning, title of the message is, If Then, What Now? And so, I don't know about you, but I'm always kind of in that mode. You know, I'm always in the uh, if then, then what, you know, if this, then that. And I'm always trying to think that through. And and I think a lot of people think that way. They, they think like, if I win the lottery, then I'll give, you know, to the Lord, you know, kind of thinking. Or if my marriage starts to get happier, then I'll work on it, you know, kind of thinking. And uh, it rarely works out that way. And so I, I want to give us like an alternative way to think uh, a little bit today, a different way to think about this than, than we usually think. So instead of an if-then, uh, what about an if-then-what-now? And so we're going to look at these last couple of chapters with that kind of thinking uh, in mind. So So... If then, if God's going to do that, then what does that mean for us now? 
kind of way of, uh, of approaching this. And so if we have a hope in the future, what does that mean for us now? If we have a security in the future, what does that mean for us now? And so this morning, we're going to look at what God has prepared for us uh, then in the future, and then we're going to try to see what that means for our lives today. Because that's really what uh, these verses are kind of all about. So look with me, take your Bibles out, turn to Revelation 21. Uh, We're going to look at the first five verses here as we get started. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth has uh, passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven uh, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And uh, he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy uh, and true. And so we have this to look forward to, right? A new heaven and a new earth. And and I think the Bible is just kind of interesting that way. It begins with, with the beginning, right? The first verse uh, in the Bible says what? In the beginning. Um, and like most books end with what? Uh, like an ending, right? <laughs> You start at the beginning, you end at the end. But the Bible doesn't do that. Right? At the end, there's a new heaven and a new earth where we're going to live with God forever. And so the end is really a new starting point. And, and the promise isn't a new promise. And in fact, in Isaiah 65 and 66, we see several times where, where this promise of a new heaven and a new earth, like for example, Isaiah 65, 17 through 19, it's not in your notes, go ahead and jot that down if you want, but it says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or, or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever. And what I create, for behold, I created Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. And so Ezekiel talks about this, Hosea talks about it, it's like all through the Old Testament. And then in Revelation 21, um, we see it as a fulfilled uh, promise. And so John gets to be a part of, of all of that. So that's our first point. So number one, if you take your note sheets out of your program, uh, you can fill that in. It's a new heaven and a new earth. A couple of different ways people think about how this is going to happen. One uh, way is people think that this old heaven and and uh, old uh, earth that, that we see in the sky and the earth that we see is entirely going to be wiped out and God is just going to uh, start over. That's one way people kind of look at this. There's another way that people look at it and and that is, and, and I, personally I'd go with this one, but it, that is, is that the Bible teaches that God is going to somehow take the earth just like he's going to take our, our perishable bodies and resurrect them to be imperishable in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Somehow he's going to take the earth, he's going to resurrect it into something that, that's totally amazing. 
Right? Romans 8 talks about the whole creation suffer the pains of childbirth together until now so that when we are redeemed as believers, something's going to happen to creation uh, as well. And so what an incredible thought that is. I mean, it challenges our thinking because most of us, when we think of heaven, right, we think of like, like up in the clouds, right? That's just kind of how we tend to think uh, about heaven. But realize this is a new heaven and a new earth, right? Think about that for a second. And the earth is recreated to be perfect for all eternity. And so what does that like look like? New heaven and new earth, the idea of a new earth with a new atmosphere and sky is a familiar theme in scriptures. Many of the prophets, both Old and New Testament, spoke of this new heaven and new uh, earth. And so it's worth remembering that the new heaven referred to doesn't necessarily mean that that the heaven where God is enthroned, right? Because I I think when we look at the word heaven and in the Bible, we, we see heaven in like three different kind of senses, right? We, we see uh, heaven as the earth's atmosphere, the blue sky. Uh, we see the second heaven, the outer space, the night sky. And then the third heaven is the place where God dwells, where, where he's at and lives in glory. And so when scriptures speak of a new heaven, um, speaking of the blue sky and the night sky, not the new heaven where God dwells. And so that's kind of a different thought pattern, right? You ever think of heaven that way? So new heaven, new earth, the the, the Greek word translated new there means new in character. It means fresh. It doesn't mean recent or new in time, right? Has anybody ever asked you what heaven uh, is like? I mean, what a great opportunity we we would have to say that heaven is going to be perfect, right? Everything in heaven is perfect. Perfect, like no demons, no Satan, no sin, no temptation. And I don't know about you, but if you're a believer in Christ and you've trusted Jesus for your salvation, this is what you have to look forward to, right? It's what we think of when we say heaven and all of eternity. Man, so what does all that mean for us right now? Well, here's what John said about it in his letter. Uh, the same apostle who wrote down, Revelation also writes some letters to the churches. In one of those letters, in 1 John 2.17, he said this, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so really, I think it comes down to this question of investment, right? What do I want to invest my life in? Do I want to invest my life in, in things that will pass away? Or, or do I want to invest my life into things that will last for all eternity. And so investing in turn in in slow down Mark, okay? Investing in in eternity doesn't mean that you don't invest in what's happening in, in the here and now. Right? God has a lot of e- eternal things that he's doing in people's lives right here and right now. And so the question is is how are we going to spend right our resources, time, energy, all that kind of stuff? How are we going to spend it that will affect uh, eternity? And then it says there will be a new Jerusalem, right? And John talks about not only will there be a new heaven, a new earth, but there will be this new Jerusalem. So now if, um, like I was writing this, um, I would have had like drilled down on the new heaven, new earth thing, but that's not what happens here, right? There, there are just a few verses on that. 
most of the verses in chapter 21 focus on New Jerusalem. And so Revelation 21, 2 says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her uh, husband. And so I think the reason why so many verses are, are here are uh, attributed to uh, the New Jerusalem is uh, because of the fulfillment uh, of what he said in the Old Testament and what God promised that he was going to do in uh, the future. And so we're going to look at what the Bible says about this in verses 9, and I'm going to go all the way to chapter 22, verse 5. So um, here we go. Uh, it says this, Then... Uh, came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me uh, away in uh, the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven uh, from God, having the glory of God is radiant uh, like a most rare jewel, like jasper, uh, clear as crystal, and it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the gates, um, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes. The son, sons of Israel uh, were inscribed on the east gates, or on the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them uh, were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of uh, the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square. Its length is the same as its width. And he measured the city with uh, the rod, 12,000 stadia. Uh, Its length and width and height are equal. He also measures its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement, Um, just in case you were wondering. Uh, The wall was built... Um, out of jasper, uh, while the city wa- was pure gold, like clear uh, glass. The, the foundations of the wall of, of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Uh, the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, and the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the, the seventh um, chrysolite, chrysolite um, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, uh, the tenth uh, uh, chrysopras and the eleventh jacinth and the twelfth amethyst and the twelve and the twelve gates were the twelve pearls each of the gates made uh, of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like uh, transparent glass and I saw no temple in the city uh, for its temple uh, is the Lord God uh, the Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light, and, it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And, and by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring uh, their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, and it will bring into it the glory of the honor of the nations, uh, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then chapter 22, the first five verses, uh, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, uh, flowing from the throne uh, of God, uh, of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on uh, either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit uh, each month. 
Right? The leaves of the tree were uh, for the healing of the nations. No longer will be there anything accursed, but the throne uh, of God and of the Lamb uh, will be in it, and his servants will uh, worship him. And they will see his face, and the name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. Uh, they will need no light uh, of lamp or sun, uh, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign uh, forever and ever. So, so as we read uh, about this new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from God, we realize that this is telling us that this is one of the places that, that we're going to live for all, all eternity and its significance uh, in this glorious dwelling place um, that, that God and, and his people is described as this holy city. And, and, and you know, cities are places uh, where there are, or there are a lot of people and, and the people interact with one another. Um, this isn't isolation. Uh, but a perfect community of the people of God. Um, this is a place uh, of greatness. And, uh, and John uses this striking image um, of, of this bride, right? And the most beautiful thing that a man will ever see is his bride coming down the aisle ready to meet him. And John says that's how beautiful this new Jerusalem will be. It's an incredible description of how God's going to work uh, in our lives in this city. And so he says that there's this city, and, and in that day, um, many times the city had walls around it and gates into it. And so John says, on the gates are the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the names of, uh, of the tribes uh, are on the gates, and the, that, that communicates to us this unity and heritage that the people are, uh, of God are going to have uh, with Israel. And God never forgets uh, the tribes of Israel. And so then he says three gates uh, on the east and three gates on the north. And, and some uh, people think that this is uh, the arrangement of the gate uh, looks back at the camp, the layout that was used in Exodus in Numbers 2. Um, so that's a possibility. Um, and then the Bible says that on its foundations are, are other names, the names of the 12 uh, apostles. And the foundation uh, are, are an internal testimony to the apostles uh, and their permanent place in God's plan. Um, so it isn't built, or, uh, or if it isn't built on the foundation of the apostles, then it, it's not the right place for God's people. And so you have the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, all the saints that are represented there. You have the 12 apostles and New Testament saints that are represented, uh, which shows together that all the saints of the ages are going to be together in heaven. Uh, that's the point. And, um, and just think about that for a moment. I mean, if you were one of the 12 sons uh, of Israel, right, and you walked into heaven and you saw your, your name on the gate, right? Or think about the 12 guys who walked around with Jesus, right, the apostles, and, and they walk into heaven and they see their name there. I mean, it's an incredible symbolism here, obviously, to these names and what they mean. But, but on the practical side of it, it makes us think of what an awesome thing that God does in, in our lives, right? You have Peter who, who denied Christ, right? He puts his foot in his mouth about every time he gets a chance. Right? And, and, and he, his name is on the foundation stone in heaven. I mean, James and John, 
Right? They go to Jesus one day and they go, yeah, like, we're going to sit with you uh, on the throne right beside you. Right? They're, they're like filled with pride. And if I'm Jesus, I'm not putting your name on the foundation stone after that. Well, that's not what Jesus does. Right? They struggle with their pride in, in, in their life and but 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 their name's on the why because of their service and sacrifice and then remember in the old testament joseph right what they did to him and then they throw him into pit and they sell him off to slavery and then and their names are on the gates i mean normal human beings normal families and their names are right there as you enter into heaven i mean it shows us that god can use ordinary People in extraordinary ways, right? To impact eternity. And I want you to know, your life, guess what? Your life can impact eternity. And I think it can impact more than you could ever hope or think. And so from every direction, 12 gates all the way around the city, people are brought in through the witness of the tribes of the nation of Israel, the 12 apostles, all the nations, and it gives us a picture of what heaven's going to be like. So, so how big is heaven? Well, the Bible tells us its size, or at least the New Jerusalem part. Uh, obviously, there, there's a lot of symbolism here. Um, but the city is laid out as a square. Uh, so New Jerusalem's length, height, and width are all equal. And, uh, and so they measured it. And the size of the New Jerusalem is 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000 stadia. And 12,000 stadia, by the way, is like 1,500 miles. Just so I can kind of get a, a picture. That's like the same distance from Maine to Florida. right? The square footage would be of the approximate size of the moon. Just to kind of give you what that might look like. Dr. Henry Morris, uh, guessing that there would be 100 billion people in the human race and 20% of them would be saved. He calculated that in heaven you get like 75 acres. That would be like yours. So, you know, do what you want with your 75, I guess. Um, but it kind of gives you an idea. Not saying, you know, I'm not saying that that's, that's accurate and all that kind of stuff, but, but just kind of give you an idea. And then it says, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. And so in this case, the cubit measure of a man is the same as the angel's measurement. So I don't know why that's in there, but it's there. Uh, and then we see the beauty of its structure. Uh, verses 18 to 21, we read that jasper and pure gold and all kinds of these precious stones. And, and, and we just kind of get a picture of, uh, of what heaven's like. And we gain this brief glimpse of what John saw. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we can't even begin to see its fullness uh, until we actually see it with our, our own eyes. And John's use of material riches to describe the city, I think, is his way of bringing out the, the, the very great value of what God has for uh, his people. And so you see jasper and sapphire and carnelian, these, these gemstones. And, um, and, and I think it just gives us this idea of the unending, staggering beauty of, of heaven. And, and I think the symbolism is not meant to give the impression of wealth or luxury in heaven, but to the point to, to the glory and, and to the holiness of, of who God is. Um, and if there's any biblical reference for this, it's the assortment of the gemstones. It's probably the high priest uh, breastplate in Exodus 28. Um, and so you can jot that down, look at it later. 
Um, and if the dimensions and descriptions are confusing, um, just, just keep in mind these couple of principles. Uh, one is I think we must understand that these ideas um, communicate for us the glory and the beauty and the splendor. And then secondly, we need to understand that this city was uh, constructed uh, by its maker is God, right? And so we should expect it to be beyond our comprehension. And um, uh, then it says like clear glass and like transparent glass. The constant mention of transparency, I think, indicates that the city is designed to transmit the glory of God. Um, And the Bible says its light is the Lord. So as we look at New Jerusalem, verses 22 and 23, in the ancient world it was uh, unthinkable to have a great city without uh, many different temples, Uh, right? It would be like saying, I saw a great city like today. We go into a big city and we'd say, you you know, this would be like saying, hey, um, there's no bank in the city. What's going on here? Or a shopping mall, right? Got to have that. And uh, it says for the Lord... Um, or, or, or it, it says the city is marked by the fact that there's no temple in it. That's the point there, right? For the Lord God Almighty, it goes on to say, and the Lamb are its temple. And so here the temple is not removed, um, but it's expanded. Everything in every place is holy uh, and the dwelling place of God. And so because of that, no need of the sun or the moon reminds us that heaven's going to be a place of pure worship. Right, our focus will be totally on the person that we worship, the the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And so, in heaven, um, uh, none of our joy, beauty, or knowledge will be based on created things, but rather on the Creator. And so, then, it's light is the Lord, and light speaks of joy. Uh, For in the Scriptures, light and joy go together. Uh, light speaks of beauty because without light there is no beauty and light speaks of knowledge and in heaven uh, we will know him as he knows us. I um, mean, that's an incredible thing if you think about it because how does God know us? He knows us completely. And then we see access to the city in verses 24 through 27. Kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. And so like what about these kings of the earth and who are they? And that's just a difficult portion of, of scripture here and there's a lot of different ideas on this and and you can read about that i'm not going to spend the time today to, to get into that um, and then it goes on to say but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false and so does that mean that people are going to threaten the city i know because i think all sinners and death have been cast in the lake of fire in revelation chapter 20 um, instead i think the exhortation here warns present readers, that the only way to participate in the future city is to turn our loyalties to the Lord now, right? To come to Christ. And so as you walk into the city, you kind of get this feel of of like a garden, right? Uh, One of the things that you're going to see going down the middle of the city is the river of life. And when we think of that, we probably think about the life part of that. Uh, For them reading it in their day, uh, they would certainly have thought of the water part of that. Uh, Because any city in Israel... Uh, out in the desert, one of the main concerns was where is water going to come from? And so they had a lot of ways to get water into the city. Uh, they would dig a well or they have aqueducts and, and all kind of creative ways that they could get water uh, into the city. But this city, New Jerusalem, 
that, that, that water, it's like, it's like running right through the middle of the city. And so it flows right down the middle. And throughout the, the Old Testament, the prophets used the picture of a river as a powerful expression of richness and provision and peace. Isaiah 48 and Zechariah 14. Or as expressed by the psalmist in Psalm 46, verses 4 and 5, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved, and God shall help her just at the break of dawn. And so I was reading, and one commentator said this about this, the point of the river is to let us know that in heaven there shall be no want of anything. And then it says it's bright as crystal. And God's provision in New Jerusalem is, de- is described with this pure and absolutely unpolluted uh, water. And flowing from the throne of God and, and of the Lamb. And I think this is important because um, we need to realize that that provision comes uh, right from God's throne. Uh, and because it comes from God, it can't be anything other than pure. And then on each side of the river is the tree of life. And we see the tree of life in Genesis chapter 3. And now we see the tree of life again. In the middle of the street on either side of the river. And so it's kind of hard to picture like the landscaping of heaven, right? I mean, you kind of start thinking about this river and John describing this large street with a river flowing down the middle, and then, and then you have this large tree or, or a series of trees that, that, that grows, and, and you have roots on either side of the river. John Warford, who's a theologian, he said this about this uh, part of, the, of, the, of chapter 21. He said the visual picture presented is that the river of life flows down through the middle of the city, and the tree is large enough to span the river so that the river is in the midst of the street, and the tree is on both sides of the river. So there's one uh, possibility. Uh, others see the word tree as a collective reference. Speaking of rows of trees that stand on each side uh, of the river, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said the picture would appear to be that of a wide street with a river flowing down the center like some uh, of the broader canals of Holland uh, with trees growing on either side, all of them the same kind, all called uh, the tree of life. And so there's a, a couple of different ways that you can uh, look at that. And then we see uh, each tree yielding its fruit uh, every month, which I think is really interesting um, because here it indicates and it describes the, the, the new heaven and new earth, and yet we're given a time indicator here, uh, which I think is interesting because apparently heaven will still mark time, but we won't be subject to that. Well, like we are uh, here today, right? So, so nobody will look at the clock when I preach in heaven. Yeah, that'd be awesome, <laughs> right? Um, some people wonder if we can eat in heaven, right? And and uh, you know, it's a great question. Um, the, I think I, I think there's a possibility that that we can eat, but we won't have to. How do you like that? Right? Jesus ate in his resurrection body. He, he enjoyed food in Luke 24 and John 21. Angels ate with Abraham in Genesis 18. Uh, the great heavenly reunion between Jesus and his people is described as what? The marriage supper in, in uh, Revelation 19. So there you go. You can decide on that one. 
Uh, and then it says the leaves of the tree were uh, for the healing of the nations. And so why do the nations need healing? Um, here in uh, the Greek language, I think the word for healing can also mean health giving. Uh, and so that's probably what is, is meant here. And so these are uh, some pictures of heaven. And are they literal or are they symbolic? Right? It may be that you can't describe another dimension like heaven without using symbols, but I do think the symbols are connected to, to the reality. And what John saw may or may not be exactly like a river on earth, but I think when we see it, we'll go, yeah, that's a river. Um, and so that's a long description of the New Jerusalem. Um, but I think John or God wanted us to be to, to, to know how valuable the place uh, heaven is going to be. And so what now? So what does that mean for us now? Well, Philippians 3.20, um, Pastor Matt alluded or used this verse last week's great verse, um, but our citizenship is in heaven and uh, from it we await a Savior, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so what do we need to understand? That we are a citizen of this place as believers in Christ, right? Heaven uh, is this place and we're a citizen of that place. And so what's going to happen in, in heaven when we get there? What does God have prepared for us uh, in, in all of eternity? Well, number uh, three, uh, there is that God will dwell with men, right? Verses three through five, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on, his, on their uh, foreheads, and, and night will be no more, and they will need no uh, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And I don't know exactly what we're going to be doing uh, in heaven. That's always a question people have, right? Like, what are we going to do for all eternity? Because that's a mighty long time. Well, I know three things, right? We're going to serve him, we're going to relate uh, to him, and we're going to reign with him. So, so that's where that's headed, and that's part of our future. Um, like our future on this earth, for, for a lot of us, right, doesn't look great. If truth would be told, we don't have much of a future here compared to what God has planned for us uh, in heaven. And so every one of us as believers have an awesome future uh, to look forward to. Uh, we have a future of service, uh, of relationship with God, and, and with reigning with him. And understand the honor and the responsibility uh, of that. It's really, when you think about it, um, it's pretty mind-boggling. And so the Bible tells us uh, that there's one thing that won't be in heaven, and that's the temple. Uh, there'll be no need for that because God will dwell with every one of us everywhere, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, if you read through the Old Testament, um, you know that that's where God lived, right? In the holy, holy, uh, holy of holies part of the tabernacle. And when people wanted to be with God, they get close to the temple. And in the Old Testament, God dwelt beside us. Uh, he was the, in this physical location. And uh, in the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross and the curtain uh, in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom, God did that to symbolize that he didn't live there anymore, that he's going to live somewhere else. And the New Testament writers tell us that through the Holy Spirit, right, God dwells in us. Uh, but in heaven, it gets even better because in heaven, God's going to dwell with us. 
And uh, now God is dwelling in us, and he is there all the time. Um, But isn't it going to be great when one day we're going to be able to sit down face to face and and just have relationship with God? Um, Because in heaven, every moment, uh, we'll have this sense of our relationship with him and how perfect uh, that's going to be. If I had to use five words to talk about the what now of the sense of the dwelling uh, uh, with God, uh, it would be, I am making everything new. That's what he said. So so in, in heaven, you're never going to hear the words like, been there, done that. Right? Because it's everything, it's new in, in heaven. Um, ever, ever get bored on this earth? Uh, of course we do, right? We are human beings. Like we get bored three weeks after we buy a new car and the smell goes away, right? We're about got to get a new one, right? So, so even at, as believers, we get bored with life. And what do we do? We go back to the old stuff. We go back to our old nature, to our old sin, trying to find satisfaction and it never works. And in fact, we feel even worse about it. And what we should do, the Bible says, is to look forward to something new, and that is heaven. And when you feel bored with life, and just realize that this life, that's not all there is, right? We anticipate those words, I am making everything new. And one day, we're going to live in a place where every moment, God is saying, I'm making everything new. And we live for that day. And that's where we're going to find our joy and our future. Last one. Bless you. Last one final thing. Uh, And you might expect this from the book of Revelation to end with this. But number four is a new voice. Uh, Revelation 22, 6 and 7. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, uh, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And so the angel that has shown these things to John reminds John that that, that this uh, it isn't too good to be true, right? That John is assured that is this is in fact faithful and true. And then it says the things which must shortly take place. I'm coming quickly and as John reminds us of the suddenness of these events, Jesus uh, himself kind of breaks in with a reminder. He says, I'm coming quickly. So, so what is, why has it been so long? Is Jesus like, is he like wrong? Well, no, the word quickly here, here in the Greek language isn't exactly the same word that, that we have for quickly. The word quickly is more accurately translated as suddenly. So, so it has a sense of immediacy to it. It's not sometime soon, but rather now soon. Any kind of moment soon. And so if I told you that collectively as a church, we're going to move um, like in the next millennium, how would that affect you? You would go like, oh, like okay, dude, whatever, right? But, but what if I told you we we're going to move like next weekend? How would that affect us? Well, we would start packing right now, wouldn't we? anticipating this move. Can I say to you today, start packing. Start packing because he's coming soon. And what I mean by that is start investing in your life into his people. So start letting go of the things that hinder us and keep us from serving him. Start packing because Christ is coming. 
God wants to keep all generations expectant, watching, and ready uh, for his return. And we're not rushing towards the brink of the end of all things. We're running parallel along the edge of that brink, and we've been doing that since the time of the apostles. Theologian Bill Mount said this about this. He said, thus, the time has always been at hand, and the tension of imminence is an is is endemic to the span of redemptive history lying between the cross and the parousia, which means the second coming. So as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when he is coming is important, but the most important thing is who is coming. Right? Jesus is coming. Revelation 22, 12 and 13, but behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense or reward with me to repay Each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It says he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. That that means not only is he the first and the last, but he's the beginning, the middle, and the end for the Christ follower. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, if you leave Christ out there, there is no manna f- from heaven. There's no water from the rock, no refuge from the storm, no healing for the sick, no life for the dead. If you leave out Christ, you have left the sun out of the day and the moon out of the night. You have left the waters out of the sea and the foods out of the river. You have left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. You have left joy out of heaven and you have robbed all of its all. There, there, is, there is no gospel worth thinking of much less worth proclaiming in Jehovah's name if Jesus is forgotten. It's pretty powerful stuff from Dr. Spurgeon. It also says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And so Jesus is David's root and offspring. He's David's father as God, but he's also David's offspring as the son of God who came to this earth. That's just Jesus being both God and man. In the last part of the book, we're given some incredible assurances. And the angel gives us the assurance that these words that we have read are true. We can count on them. He is coming and he's coming soon. And then in verses 14 and 15, blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates outside are the dogs and the sorcerers the sexual and moral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood what, what's he talking about there well he's talking about those that have not turned to him for forgiveness he's talking about the fact that our robes need to be washed of those things And Jesus gives us the assurance that when we trust in him, our robes will be washed in his blood and we'll spend eternity with him. So so what's the what now of this? Well, three things to do because Jesus is coming soon. The first one is to come, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. And so who can come? The one who hears, let him come to Jesus. But they can't come unless they hear. He who thirsts can come to Jesus, but they can't come unless they feel their thirst. 
and whoever desires can come. But they can't come unless God works in their heart to desire him. It's a pretty good little checklist, isn't it? Have you heard? Are, are, are you thirsty for God? For, for eternal life? Do you want him? Secondly, it says wash your robes. We kind of talked about that. I just want you to know that we are able to wear white robes because of the forgiveness of Jesus, not because of our perfection. And then number three is to worship God. Verses 18 to 21, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which is described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I think it's interesting. It says if anyone adds or takes away, it means that there is a high price. I mean, think about this for a second. A high price for tampering with the book of Revelation and with the scriptures in general. And then the final thing to remember as we conclude this series in Revelation, I think it's to do what the angel told John to do, what the whole book has told us to do, and what the book of Revelation prepares us to do on earth so we can do that in eternity and that is to worship God. Worship is declaring to God clearly and boldly how much he's worth in our lives. We always need to remember that we need to put our worship and our trust and our hope in the right place. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for your word today. Father, we really don't have words to describe our gratefulness that that you gave your son to die on a cross for our sins so that we can spend eternity with you. And God, we know that as believers, you are on the inside of us right now, but we long to be with you. We, We look forward to the day when we'll be in heaven and we'll lay down the crowns and we'll say to you, Jesus, this is for you. It's because we love you. So, Father, I pray that in the here and now, God, that we would understand what you have done for us. And then, God, that we would share that truth with those that we come in contact with. God, may this church be a beacon of light in North Spokane. May we we see many, many people give their hearts and lives to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.